2: And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today, another great day around these parts. We've got Michael Ferreira That's and right. John Benest. 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 That's right. John Benest. These are... Yeah. The S is a hard S. It's not silent. It's not John Bonet. No. It's not John No, Benet. although you've called him John Bonet in the past. You specifically. <laughs> And I think he's actually. John, I think he gets his, that a lot. It's
1: not his first time. He's been called. He's right. been asked if it's John Benet or John Vanest. It's John Bonest, Urban Analytics. Great to have these guys back on the show. Past guest fan favorites. It's always great to have Michael and John on the show.
2: Yes. Yeah. Data driven guys. Um, talk about good analytics. And they're fresh off their UDI chat. Uh, every year they do like a state of the union address at UDI, and uh, we basically got them talking about that. Going over the really market. going
1: over their slides almost like yeah. this is the pre- a lot of this is basically the UDI presentation with us asking uh, questions.
2: So what kind of information are the people that are shaping the skylines in this city looking for? That's what we're talking about today.
1: Exactly. And the other nice thing about Michael and John is you know we have economists on the show, we have developers on the show, we have marketers on the show, right? Uh, you know, and a host of others. I would say Michael and John occupy a unique space in this market because not only are they data-driven guys, they work with all the developers. Right. So it's like if you want somebody who's got a finger on the pulse of multiple projects across multiple regions in Metro Vancouver, they're the only game in town.
2: They are. Yeah, no they are. And 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 they are a celebrated group by the community of developers as well. So we're happy to have them on the show. But before we get to that Matt, you have a business trip out to K-Town this That's weekend. right.
1: This is a central travel to K-Town, uh, if that's what Kelowna is being called. I don't think so. <laughs> I, think I, think I think Kelowna was I think rebranded. That, that
2: might be a, a real thing. I'm not sure. I'm going to really. have to Google that, but I, I feel like K-Town
1: fits. Well, here, yeah, here's the exciting thing. I feel like everybody's excited about Kelowna these days, <laughs> us included. And we just spoke with- uh, John Friesen. John Friesen, the CEO of Mission Group, I um, loved that conversation, and man.
2: We're, so we have. This is a an up a lot of a lot of people have been actually getting in touch with us about Kelowna and opportunities in Kelowna. Kelowna is like one of the most resilient rental markets. Like the it's it's unbelievable how low the vacancy rate is there, and and I've been talking to property managers in Kelowna, and they're it's like they're setting new records week over week in the rents. that well, they're Well, it getting.
1: just feels like you know we I remember when we were talking about One Water and 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 projects a couple of years back, where it's right. like, oh, they're putting a, a a condo tower downtown, like as if like a sky, like a high rise, and it was seemed all it seemed unique and and really interesting. Now it feels like Kelowna just transforming so quickly, right. and the writing is so clearly on the wall for the for Kelowna as like this. Amazing, amazing, amazing place. place yeah, right? exactly. And and uh, so I'm excited to to head over there. And we do have a two part series coming up. We do. Let's one, talk about that. one with CEO John. Friesen, yeah, of, from Mission uh, Group. From Mission Group, right? That's the largest developer in in Kelowna. They're reshaping the skyline, and then we have Pasquez fan favorite. Yeah, uh, so actually, it's James
2: Moore. So Ross Soward was on the program before. James oh. Moore is coming on the program. Oh, I thought it was Ross. No, no, James is 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 another long range planner at the City of Kelowna. Oh, he's going to be coming on to talk. So we we, we start off with the developer the largest developer, uh, in Kelowna or one of the largest developers in Kelowna. And then we talked to the city, uh, and to James Moore about, so what a, what a fantastic episode. If you're interested in Kelowna or considering Kelowna as an investment, this is like the, the
1: info packed Kelowna (laughs) episode. It'll teach you everything you need to know. That's right. And that's coming up in a few weeks. So stay tuned for that. But before we, uh, we get to our talk with Michael and John, Adam, there's a few other things. One, We are sponsored this week by Oakland Realty. This is our brokerage, best brokerage in town. Head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP2020. And this is, of course, for new agents, aspiring agents, uh, somebody just looking to make a change. And a lot of people are looking to make a change to Oakland right now. If you want to talk to Michael and Morgan and the gang and get a huge incentive – oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. You will not be disappointed. That yeah. is for sure. And we thank them for sponsoring the show.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Our incentive is that uh, we get to keep the lights on. <laughs> that, that's right.
1: <laughs> we keep the lights on. You get a huge incentive. Right. Oakland really wins and uh, hey, uh, everybody's happy. Uh, what else do we have? Speaking of incentives. Yeah. We still have our listing incentive. We do,
2: we do. Yeah, it is a great time to sell. If you are thinking about selling your home for top dollar in Vancouver, get in touch uh, if you want to work with the Scalina Brothers. We've got an incentive that we're going to be running here for a couple more weeks. Uh, Get your house on the market or get your condo on the market. Also, if you have a friend or family member that you want to refer to us, we always want to work with people in the VREP community. So please have them get in touch or or make an introduction, and you will get an incentive as well. Everybody wins. Everybody
1: wins. But Matt, maybe let's cut to our interview with John and Michael. John and Michael, this one is a great conversation. Enjoy, everyone.
2: Okay, so we're here with Michael Ferreira, Managing Principal, and John Benest, Principal at Urban Analytics. How you doing, guys?
3: Doing great. How are you guys? Good, good.
1: Yeah, we usually have you guys in the studio, so it's a little bit uh, different having you on over the phone. But uh, great to have you guys back. Fan favorites, uh, past guests, we should say.
4: Wow, that's uh, <laughs> high praise.
1: <laughs> Can we start
2: maybe with... Uh, uh, why don't we start with Michael? Uh, I, kn- I know a lot of our, our listeners are familiar with you from previous episodes, but can you start by telling our, our listeners a little bit about yourself?
4: Um, sure. I've, uh, I'm have i getting older by the year. Every time I do one of these things, I'm another year older. So I think the last time I, I was on, I was suggesting that I'd been in the industry for 25 years. Now, I'm just going to say that I've been in the industry for over 25 years. <laughs> um, <laughs> um we actually uh, i've been with uh urban analytics for the better part of the 25 the past 25 years uh urban analytics actually just celebrated its 25th anniversary of its incorporation uh late in 2020 so so that was kind of exciting and um and john in in the fall of 2020 celebrated his 10th year with with urban analytics so so we're we're grizzled veterans of the uh of the real estate market here in Vancouver.
2: This this show has the uh, ability of aging guests as well. I think so. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's um, and, and John, can you can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
3: Sure. Yeah. Similar to Michael, um, starting to you know not obviously as much so as Michael in terms of of industry tenure, but um, you know getting into my sixth year of, of analyzing the real estate market in Metro Vancouver. Um, been with Michael at Urban Analytics for 10 years now. We're celebrating our 10th plus anniversary. Um, yeah, and prior to that, worked at a, a variety of Metro Vancouver developers, just analyzing the market and uh, learning everything there is to know about it. Um, got my, my feet wet uh, starting at Polygon in 2005 and another developer, Mosaic. And yeah, just been, you know, now it's kind of going through three plus cycles of uh, real estate in Metro Vancouver. So I've uh, been enjoying all of it.
1: Right. Well, no. And that's, it's, it's always good to have you guys on and we, and we always have you on, uh, or the last couple of times we've had you on at the start of the year, kind of after your state of the union, uh, address to the Urban Development Institute. And we love to have you on right after to, to get your take on what's going on in the market. I believe this year, your, the title of your talk was 2020 is so last year. Is that right?
4: It was close. It, 2020 was so last yeah, year. Yeah, Matt.
3: Come on.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I feel like we're, getting, we're running really Matt, loose on this Matt, show. <laughs> Matt has a tough time
2: with present and past.
4: Yeah, you know it was bound to happen after just about screwing up UDI. So, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's going on? The market must be busy if Matt's uh, having this many challenges. Um, so, can we can we maybe start about like let's talk about 2020 was so last year. Can can you discuss maybe some of the key takeaways from your address?
3: Yeah, you know the uh,
4: the title sort of came from the fact that I think there was you know, we're all fatigued for obvious reasons. But um, I think, you know, with respect to the market, we were feeling fatigued about, you know, talking about what had happened in, in 2020 and, and even for the market itself in, in 2019. So it was really kind of a, a reference to, you know, let's put the past behind us and let's look forward because I think, you know, What's ahead is a lot more promising and provides reason for optimism than than what happened in in 2020. Now that being said, we still looked back at 2020 in the presentation to uh, to talk about sort of what went on during the year. And you know, it, in a lot of ways, it was it was a pretty remarkable year from um, from what what happened in the market uh, versus what uh, the uncertainty that existed a year ago at this time when we were just heading into the pandemic I guess we're still a few days away from the actual anniversary of, of going into lockdown but but those first few weeks of, of the lockdown were just you know full of uncertainty and nobody really knew what was going to happen how long this was going to last so uh, we entered the last couple of weeks of March first you know, few weeks of, of April just in, in a little bit of a sense of paralysis where you know all of a sudden everybody was shifting and working from home trying to figure out how to do that how to figure out Zoom and Teams and and what have you, and and how to make those work. And just wondering whether, you know, were construction sites going to continue? Was the supply chain, you know, know, put aside toilet paper, but were construction sites going to be able to get plywood delivered to them? So, but, you know, lo and behold, you know, uh, several weeks after the lockdown, and even during those first few weeks, we were hearing from, From clients And and just to to go back, John and I, those first few weeks, we hit the phones hard and, and, you know, called the majority of our clients, subscribers, just to get a sense of what they were thinking and what they were feeling. And, you know, the result was, you know, the majority of the people figured, you know what, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, we're going to get through this. It takes forever to get a project approved anywhere in Metro Vancouver anyway, so we're just going to keep pressing ahead. You know, and, and those developers who had projects that were in the market that were already actively marketing, they, you know, impressively did a, a very quick pivot, got into the, the virtual tours by, you know, videotaping their, um, I feel like an old fart saying videotaping, but, um, <laughs> you know, rec- recording tours of uh, of their sales centers and presentation centers and display suites and, you know, conducting virtual tours that way. So everybody adjusted really, really quickly. And and I've chatted with some people from the construction sector too. Who you know, those first couple of weeks, they they basically just put their heads down and they'll say, "How are we going to do this? How are we going to make this work?" And and within a few days, had you know, hand washing stations, had uh, protocols posted all over the construction sites, so that you know, people were social distancing and and uh, and washing hands and doing all the stuff that you were supposed to do. So you know so even during those first few weeks we were hearing that people were still registering for websites they were just they were still calling for appointments to see if they could come in obviously it was more difficult to write deals so we didn't see as many deals being written but there were still some deals being written even in those first 2 3 weeks of the lockdown last year in in late March and early April
1: wow and and did what about the the kind of moving past the straight up lockdown in a couple months there like We've been asking a lot of people this question, but did the remainder of 2020 surprise you in terms of of activity? I think it's basically, I think the answer seems to be yes across the board. But uh, what was your guys' take on it? Yep.
3: You know, our take was, you know, obviously impressed with, you know, the second half of the market and, and how, you know, the buyers responded to the market. And, you know, what was kind of becoming apparent and clear over time, especially in the summer, moving into the fall. Was that you know because of these lockdown measures and because you know a lot of uh, you know organizations in the business community you know trying to operate you know without being in a in an office environment as much so had to pivot into that um, working remotely uh, using technology um, phase which really put the emphasis on the home you know making sure the home is 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 first and foremost so you know we immediately saw a spike in demand for. The townhome sector of the market, and particularly in suburban locations, you know, rather than looking for locations that you know were more uh, ideally located within close proximity to urban centers or, or or quaint retail amenities, the primary focus of buyers in you know from the second quarter onward was you know what is the most affordable, spacious product I can afford, um, and kind of dedicating and carving out spaces that they could use for um, either Zoom or Teams calls mm-hmm. uh, or or uh, individual office space. So. You know, we really saw instantly that that shift for demand for space. So, you know, you know that the mantra of real estate is, is often location, location, location. And, you know, what the, the pandemic really accelerated was, the you know, the, at least in the short term, that desire for space. So it was kind of like space based affordability. You know, is was kind of what was driving the market. So we started to really see that take off in the second half. And we're still seeing that today, but it's also trickling into other sectors. Um, the condominium, wood frame uh, and concrete sectors are starting to really heat up. But the first ones to heat up were the townhome and single family sectors of the market.
2: So can we talk maybe a little bit about that, John? Just thinking about how the market operates and how we've watched it over the years, but obviously detached and uh, the half duplex and and townhouse market has been very, very hot. A lot of people are predicting that the condo market will in many ways be playing catch up this year. And that's everything from kind of across the lower mainland, including downtown, which has been a market that I think – Of all the markets during COVID, was kind of hit maybe, uh, maybe maybe the hardest. Can we talk maybe about the condo market and and kind of where you see that going this year?
3: Yeah. You know, our take is you know we're tracking the market on a routine basis, so we're already seeing the condo market pick up. So, it, it's not even a prediction as per se; it is uh, an actual reality today that the condo market is picking up. You know, we're starting to see a lot of pre-sale activity in the concrete sector in locations like Burquitlam, in uh, Coquitlam, and then also in Burnaby. So, we've had a number of Successful high-rise front uh, project launches occur in those in those markets. You know, about a year ago, even prior to the pandemic, uh, a lot of developers were postponing their projects just because they felt that there wasn't enough demand that uh, could absorb the product put to market at that time. Um, they're now going ahead and 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 trying to get to market as fast as possible because they're starting to see that demand is starting to pick up for those sectors. So, I would agree with you that um, you know the downtown uh, the downtown market has been. You know, initially has been most you know negatively impacted. I, you know, I wouldn't say that we saw noticeable declines in prices. It's just that maybe the appreciation of units in the downtown core wasn't as significant as maybe a, a single-family home in the suburban locations like uh, Langley or Abbotsford, or or that sort of thing. Right. But you know, we still find that you know urban condos have held their values. It's just they haven't gone up as much. So, so you know, if you have a contrarian mindset and you think that you know over time. You know, as this, um, you know, schools open up in September, which I believe we saw an article uh, the other day suggesting that, in fact, schools are going to be opening, post-secondary institutions are going to be opening in September. You're going to start to see more congestion on the roads. Um, You know, right now, you know, I live in Ladner and driving in and out to to the city is a breeze. Um, uh, Congestion is very low right now. Um, But you have to think that in September that, you know, congestion will pick up as people go back to work in a more frequent manner and schools open up as well. So, you know, I think once that happens, um, the desirability of living closer to the core will then improve at that point in time. So we do see the condo sector picking up and it's picking up right now as we speak. And it's also, it goes to um, affordability as well. If, you know, you're looking in the market for a new townhome and, and, you know, you just realize, look, I can't afford that price point. But you do want to get into the market, then, then the condominium is, is the next choice that you you have. So, um, you know, based on the fact that prices of townhomes and single families have come up quite a bit over the past year, um, you know, people looking to get into the market today, um, that may be their only option at this point.
1: Right. And, you know, apart from price point, you guys are kind of in an interesting position because you have so many large developers, I guess large and small developers as clients, and you're speaking to kind of these guys on the ground uh, day in and day out. One of the things that struck me is uh, going back to what Michael was saying about, you know, it's not, the last year hasn't been location, 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 as much as as size uh, of unit and, uh, you know, the, the space for the home office, the space where you can take a Zoom call and you don't have a kid running in, that type of thing. Is there a sense out there that, you know, everyone looking for that home office is that those days are numbered or are we, are you guys hearing in the industry that that's kind of the new normal?
4: You know, I, I don't necessarily, uh, you know, it's a tough one to answer because I think there are still people who, because of what's happened over the last year, recognize the value of having that, um, that space, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, a tech nook where you can set up your laptop and, and have your zoom or teams calls, or if you're in a, a one bedroom apartment with a partner who's also working from home, having that space where you can both separate whether it's, you know, part of the amenity space within a condo building or townhome building or townhome complex that you're in where you can go and and work from for uh, a period of time. If you both have zoom calls or what have you. you, you know, we don't think that the, the work from home thing is permanent um you know i think as a lot of people are recognizing there are benefits and drawbacks to it and and we've experienced that ourselves even within our own company where you know i think people like the flexibility of being able to work from home one or two days a week but they also especially during those first few months of of the pandemic really missed that personal interaction with their fellow team members so so we did see, you know, and, and even today, even though we do have restrictions in the office in terms of how many people can come in on any given day, usually we're maxing out on on the number of people who can come in. So um, so there is that desire, and I think there is still going to be a need for people to go into the office and, and continue to work. So,
2: Right, right. There's probably got to be a study done about people that have young kids or people that have significant others that are stuck at home needing an office space to hide, maybe. Wow! Well, <laughs> yeah. get, get, get out of the house. I think it's pretty specific. Uh, yeah, where you're at in your stage of life in terms of
1: how effective it is working from home. That's but for sure, I, yeah.
2: But no, the collaboration point is uh, is, is a good one. Um, so, can we talk about who's yeah. driving demand
4: throughout the market? It's I would say it's your entry level and your move up buyers were the the primary drivers of the market through most of last year. You know, the downsizers, empty nesters, they were probably the slowest to sort of get back into the market along with investors, I'll add, you know, and, and on the downsides front, I think there was just more anxiety about, you know, going into a, a presentation center, but, you know, I think we're starting to see now that, that single family home prices have gone up so much, you know, that's, that's probably getting a few of those buyers even off the fence and, and figuring out what their next steps are going to be as far as, you know, are they going to stay in the house or are they going to move into a, uh, into a condo building? Um, or downsize into, a, you know, executive townhome, for instance. But, you know, on the investor front, it's been interesting because I think through most of probably three quarters of 2020, they were largely on the fence. You know, we kept hearing from our clients that uh, that they were inquiring, they were coming by, and, and they were out there. Um, but you know, given the predictions that they heard last spring of of um, you know price you know price crashes by varying amounts. Ah, uh, depending on on who was putting out the prediction, you know, if somebody's predicting, especially a, a government entity, is is predicting that prices are going to drop by nine to eighteen percent, as an investor, why would you be jumping into the market? So I think they sat back and waited, but you know, eventually, after seeing consecutive month after month of of uh, MLS results showing that that sales were up and prices were starting to go up again, that it was like, okay, <laughs> maybe they got this one wrong. And we saw in the fourth quarter in particular of 2020, where, you know, the investors started to come back into the market They're, they, you know, they were very selective initially and and they're still selective and and very value oriented and value driven, but, um, but they are much more active today than, than they have been for probably the last two years.
3: Yeah. And the pandemic also proved that, you know, there is a lot, you know, significant amount of of local end user demand, you know, the, the pandemic obviously made it, makes it challenging for foreign buyers to come in and, and buy real estate when it's challenging to come in and, and, uh, cross our borders. So, you know, it just really showed that there is a, a strong contingent of local demand for our real estate here. Yeah. And I think that's,
4: that's a really good point. Cause I think with the government policies that were introduced in, in 2018, and that really impacted the market in 2019, like, okay, well, what are you going to do now?
1: Yeah. Yeah, well that's that's what we've kind of been talking about a lot on the show, right? It's it's the uh, the narratives have around uh skyrocketing real estate have kind of shifted a bit because they, because it's pretty clear that there's no, you know, boogeyman from offshore that's having that great of an impact on on what's going on here.
4: Yeah. Agreed. Now, you know, one of the the points we made at at the UDI presentation was you know, the demand is incredibly strong today. It's all domestically driven for the most part. You know, we still did see some immigration coming in last year, but a fraction of what we normally see. But, you know, if you think the market is crazy now, imagine if we had that immigration happening and we had that demand from uh, from new immigrants. And I'm not just talking the high income and high net worth uh, immigrants that come in, but we also do have a lot of non-high net worth immigrants that come into the country that are looking for opportunity and a better life. And, you know, what we found is, is a lot of those immigrants they'll rent for the first little while, but their ultimate desire is to own. Mm -hmm. So as soon as they are able to get into the market, they, you know, they do. And so once that demand comes back again, you know, are we going to be prepared for it? And if not, what, what happens to to pricing then?
1: Right. And, and I guess, well, there's a, a few things to unpack there, I think for sure. But but one thing we want to talk to you guys about was um, was rents and what happened to rents in 2020 and what you guys are thinking is going to happen this year. But presumably, at least on in our business, when we were talking to investors uh, over the past year, a lot of that fear was you know rents are down, it's going to be hard to place a tenant government policy changes to protect tenants which I think were largely seen as a positive thing but all those things combined made the environment a little bit sketchy for investors um, can you talk about what we saw in rents in terms of vacancy rates in terms of the amounts people were getting for rents and and what you see moving forward this year with with presumably a little bit of a bounce back yep so yeah the,
3: the rental market is typically just to kind of give more context to Metro Vancouver is typically one of historically been one of the strongest, you know, rental markets in, if not North America and all of the world, um, as it relates to vacancy rates. Um, we traditionally have, a you know, 1% or lower vacancy rate across, uh, Metro Vancouver and fundamentally a lack of, um, housing options for people just based on the fact that, um, you know, a lot of people continue to move here and we, you know, we don't have enough, uh, rental stock to, uh, support the demand for it. So, so that's one thing to, to note. Um, we also just want to, you know, we track the the newer purpose-built rental market. So, you know, any statistics that we come up with are purely for um, newer apartment buildings, so not old rental stock. Right. And, you know, we didn't know what to expect. You know, we typically feel that, you know, the, the rental market is more so resilient than than a, a housing market, but we're actually surprised in the fact that, you know, we didn't anticipate that the pandemic would ultimately impact. Lower income earners and the rental market the most from the perspective that a lot of our rental market is supported by post secondary institutions and and uh, international students who travel here and they will rent in urban areas near um, either downtown or near UBC SFU other post secondary institutions and uh, a lot of the rental market does rely on those renters and as soon as you say to students that number one we're not opening opening the borders um, for for travel and we're um, we're having online classes, no in-person classes, the motivation to want to rent in locations like downtown or or, or, or UBC are are quite um, diminished. So, you know, we have a lot of students in first, second year university who would have um, gone to classes and lived on campus or or basically living with their parents. So in the short term, it's resulted in some, you know, would-be renters um, pulling back from the market and not as much international renters. So we did see quite a bit of a spike in places like UBC, where we would traditionally have next to zero vacancy. And then in downtown Vancouver, there was a, a spike in vacancy. So um, those were the key locations where we did see um, a, a spike in, in vacancy. But overall, there were other you know, suburban and, and, and other locations within Metro Vancouver that weren't as uh, negatively impacted by the pandemic. In terms of rents uh, S- sorry John can you just yeah. in
1: terms of so you know we often throw around like a one percent vacancy rate or, or even lower than that do you yeah. guys have numbers on on what that spike actually translated to in terms of vacancy rate
0: um
3: yeah we could we could probably look into it I mean we you know we track the newer purposeful rental market so right. so you know in those locations it spiked up as high as as five to ten percent um, like a UBC in um, downtown maybe five percent five to ten percent range but other locations like surrey langley you know even the tri-cities uh, we didn't see that type of spike in vacancy there was still below five uh, percent for newer purpose-built rental buildings right so that was kind of an interesting observation that 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 we uh we noticed but you know the way we see it is is, is that this is just a short-term thing um you know we we've been tracking the market for the newer commercial rental market for over five years now. And prior to the pandemic, you know, you would have a rental stock at UBC of over 3,000 units per se, and you would check the statistics and you'd see no vacancies. So, you know, you know, with the announcement that schools are going to be reopening in September, I, I have no reason to believe that those uh, vacant units will be absorbed uh, come September.
4: Yeah, I was just going to jump in on the vacancy data. So if you're just looking at the buildings we track that have already gone through their initial lease-up campaign, so we refer to those as sort of fully leased, and so now they're just dealing with with the turnovers of of tenants that give notice, and then they're filling those units back up again. So, you know, in the first quarter of 2020, that we call it an availability rate, there was like 2.3 percent of the units that we track were available, and in Q4 it was 4.2 percent. So it went up by a couple of percent. For those buildings that we track, which is in line with, you know, with what CMHC saw as well, where with their most recent rental market, where, you know, they look at the entire market. So their vacancy rate went from 1.1% in 2019 to 2.6% in 2020. So still ridiculously low, <laughs> when you consider right. it. You know, I think Calgary's uh, vacancy rate was 6.6% at the end of last year when CMHC did their their survey there. So so yeah, so it it obviously did impact vacancy, but you know across the board, not by as much. It was really as John referenced, you know, those areas that were, you know, downtown Vancouver, any other areas that sort of serve as post-secondary institutions.
1: And and presumably the with the vacancy rate, uh, as goes the vacancy rate, goes how much rent people are paying. Uh, do you have any data on the impact on on rents and where we're kind of headed here? Yep.
3: yeah, so, yeah. Go ahead, John. Okay. Yeah, so (laughs) what's what's interesting that we've been finding with um, the newer purpose-built rental market is that, you know, there's a lot of other things to consider um, when it comes to leasing up a building. So, you know, with the government stating that, you know, you aren't able to increase the rents for a certain period of time, you know, that's that's noted by uh, developers of new rental buildings. So, you know, what we're finding is that a developer... Would be less motivated to want to rent something for a lower rent, and would be more incentivized to have a higher face rent and offer um, one, two, or even three months uh, worth of free rent, so long as the contract rent or face rent is at a certain level,
1: right. uh, which is
3: higher than uh, than what they would otherwise have to uh, rent it out for um, on the market. So, um, so what we're what we're seeing with new buildings that have uh, rental buildings that have been um, completed and and released to the market uh, throughout 2020 in the pandemic is that the rent themselves for those buildings are actually not any lower than what they would have been. Um, it's just that that landlord developer is, is just being more amenable to a slower absorption period. So, you know, leading up to the pandemic, when the market, especially the rental market was in very, very high demand, you would see a building that would have 100 to 200 units be leased up within less than three months. So, you know, a, extremely high absorption rate. Whereas now you're seeing that, you know, a similar building in a similar neighborhood, you know, leasing at five units a month, but the rents are still just as high as, if not higher than what they were before. So they're sacrificing absorptions for rental rates at this point. And, you know, the motivation, you know, who's to say what it is, but it could be a function of of those government measures that are put in place with regards to rental rate increases. So that's something we're seeing in the market. Um, Where there are some declines in, in rental rates is... Is in that investor-owned condominium sector of the market, where um, you have an uh, you know uh, an individual owner of a property, where you know they just don't have the capacity to sit on a, a unit for three four months, so and they want it rented out immediately. So they would be more willing to negotiate a lower rent than they would have otherwise wanted prior to the pandemic starting.
2: Right, right, okay. So in thinking about the market, kind of moving forward here for the balance of 2021, what are your thoughts on the market in general? And where do you think we're heading here over the next uh, maybe one to three years?
4: You know, I think we're already starting to see signs of what the rest of the year is is going to look like with respect to, you know, townhome product is still selling incredibly well. The demand remains extremely high. You know, prices have started to, to inch up and I think, and, and not even inch up in some cases, there's some pretty significant price increases happening in, in some places in the Fraser Valley. so. You know, as that happens, you know, while demand was was reasonably strong for you know low rise condos last year, I think you know we saw an increase of 23 percent in that sector uh, year over year. But you know, on the you know compare that to the townhome sector, which saw 177 percent increase in sales um, from you know 2020 to 2019. Um, So yeah, so I think as that spread, you know, as, as townhome prices start to increase, and we've seen this before. You know, during a bit of a downturn, you know, townhome prices compress a little bit, get a little closer to wood frame. People jump into that sector as the supply gets gets absorbed. Prices start to increase, and that spread kind of gets reestablished again between the the low rise condo and the and the townhome product, and even high rise condo for that matter. And then you start to see uh, people going back to the to the condo product again. So I think you know we're we're going to see a, a much more balanced demand for product across the region, but I, I think the biggest jump that we're gonna see is for, for demand in the in the high rise sector, which we're already starting to see, mostly due to you know investors coming back into the market
1: again. Do you guys have any thoughts on pricing and and one thing just to note here, like we we talked to Cameron McNeil and Ryan Lalonde from MLA last week and they had some pretty specific numbers in terms of price appreciation over the next year, year and a half. And like, they're extremely bullish on the market in terms of new construction. Is that, is that your guys sense?
4: Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think this year uh, and, and I'll, you know, John can offer his opinion as well. I, I think this year prices will probably see, see some appreciation, but I think there's so much, so many new projects that are, you know, that were put on hold right through 2019 and, and most of 2020. That are going to be coming onto the market. So I think uh, there is going to be a lot of new supply coming into the market. I, I think where I see you know more significant appreciation happening is into twenty twenty two when the borders reopen, we start to see that immigration coming back in. We have that pent up demand from from that immigration coming in, and the pace of approvals in in Vancouver is everybody is aware you know, in the industry and, and hopefully even outside the industry, people are becoming more aware of it. But, you know, that slow pace of approvals is really going to hamper any new supply coming into the marketplace. So that's where I see there being, uh, you know, a bit of a crunch where we're going to see some, some pretty substantial upward pressure on pricing uh, in 2022 and beyond.
1: Right. Actually, and that lines up, almost exactly with what Ryan and Cameron were saying, that the next six months were, in in their minds, an opportunity. Whereas, uh, yeah, by about mid-2022, we're, we're in a different category in terms of pricing.
4: Yeah, well, not to tell secrets, but they do subscribe to NHS Live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like you guys are cautiously bullish on the next couple of years. What, uh, what challenges lie ahead in your guys' minds? Yeah that's,
3: that's, that? yeah, that's a good question. You know, I I don't. I'll leave you to answer the tough one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know what? Yeah, it's sometimes, uh, you know, we just don't know what's going to happen with, um, you know, our hope and our anticipation is that, you know, we're going to be continuing to, you know, have more of a normalcy environment r- with regards to getting past the pandemic in uh, late 2021 and beyond. So, you know, the only concern that I would have is for whatever reason, you know, this didn't occur. And, you know, we had a prolonged kind of uh, process that we had to drag through and, and not let new immigration come to kind of help fuel the the market. So I think that's one thing that could possibly happen. Another thing is, you know, real estate markets, as you guys know, they do, um, they are cyclical. And, you know, you know from our, our perspective, you know, they're cyclical and they go up and down. But in the long term, the trend is up. But, you know, that's not to say that in short term periods they they do come down if if they're overheated or overhyped. So, I mean, my only consideration would be just, you know, looking at what's going on in the single family market right now and just how much hype is is being put into it with regards to um, sales that are occurring significantly above uh, list pricing. You know, it it does create that sense of fear of missing out in the market, which could potentially, you know, attract the wrong type of people. You know, people who are looking to make money quick by flipping the home players or that sort of thing. Um, and then also, yeah, people who maybe are stretching themselves a little little too thin um, in order to get that single family home because they feel like their fear of missing out because, you know, human nature, if you you hear a hear experts saying you know, things are going to double in a certain amount of years, and of course, you're going to want to get in as soon as possible. So that would be the only concern I have is just the single family market, people, you know, getting really, really heated too quickly. And you know, attracting the the wrong type of people, and and um, and and seeing where that leads. So those are kind of the only two things that kind of come up to me top of mind. I think in general, you know, it's the same old uh, adage with Vancouver. We just don't have enough supply in this, with the assumption that people are going to continue to move here and want want to live here. So um, all the fundamentals are always good. It's just the short term kind of issues that we're 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 uh, we're looking at are, are potential areas of concern. Yeah,
4: and and I would add to that. I think just you know on the government policy side the market it does become active, we start to see some some sharp increases in prices, and we end up in that same sort of frenzied state that we were in in 2016, 2017, is, you know, can the, can the various levels of government resist putting even more layers of demand-oriented policies in place? And, you know, so far they've refused to acknowledge that supply is an issue. I just hope at some point they recognize that, you know, especially given what's happened this past year with with the domestic side of the market, really driving the demand that, hey, maybe supply does have something to do with it, especially on the, the rental side, but even on the, uh, you know, the ownership side. So I think that's a, a big concern if we don't find some way to, to get more projects approved more quickly. The other one is just, you know, this continuing layering of costs onto, onto the industry. And I think it's something that uh, that we have to look at. I, you know, I had a conversation leading up to my leading up to the UDI presentation with Eric Carlson and his, and as you guys know, you've chatted with him before. He's pretty entertaining, but he's like, (laughs) you know, just almost (laughs) out of exasperation. He's like, can we, can we go more than three years without having a new building code introduced that, you know, everybody (laughs) has to learn and get trained on. I mean, we already have a challenge with, with skilled labor in the trade sector. So, you know, if you're forcing, those trades to learn a new code every three years, it just becomes impossible to keep up and to, uh, and to to supply the market with sufficient labor to to execute on all these projects.
1: Yeah. I mean, just as I thought it w- and this was came out of the conversation last week, but it's interesting to think that there's potentially more demand side measures coming because considering, you know, the market we're in right now and how few projects launched over the last couple of years, It seems like, you know, that's a a terrible idea it's like, uh, clearly it seems like the policies were were ill considered in the first place and to layer on more challenges in terms of limiting demand, it seems like, it seems like a bad idea to me. Yeah, couldn't agree more. (laughs) Do we want to, maybe
2: just to uh, shift gears a little bit, um, which areas in the lower mainland are you kind of maybe most excited about right now? And and I mean that from kind of a growth perspective or perhaps even an opportunity and perspective.
4: Well, Mike, do you No, you go first. <laughs> sure. So I'm going to go to sort of two extremes of the market. First, I'm going to say, you know, I, I'm keeping kind of a close eye on mission and only because, you know, one of the region's biggest developers, Polygon, is, is starting a, massive new community out there that I think, you know, once built out, will have, I think up to 15,000 residents, I believe. So, you know, that's an interesting one to see, you know, whether that, you know, moving away from the core trends will continue, you know, and, and there's a lot of smart minds over, <laughs> over at Polygon. So, you know, I'm sure they saw an opportunity there and, and uh, anticipate that, uh, that there will be good demand for, for new master plan community that's, uh, that they're planning out there. You know, the other one, that uh, I'm looking interestingly at that I think there are some opportunities is downtown. And, you know, whenever you see a sector of the market that has been, you know, down for as long as it has, and again, the downturn in downtown, like in most parts of Metro Vancouver, but it was felt most downtown was, it, it was a policy-induced downturn. So, you know, despite those policies still being in place, I think people will will see downtown as being... Attractive and and you know I'm not one to sort of tell people where opportunities are and you know downtown is still expensive but I I think there's there are opportunities there when you look at some of the pricing for uh, for condominiums there relative to what they were a few years ago you know when you consider you know how much or how little new products have been added to the market there you know as the market for condos starts to you know continues to to pick up pace I can see you know a lot of that. Product in the resale market that's that's existing now getting absorbed, and then you're going to be at a point where there's no new product coming to the market, very little resale product. So you know eventually that's going to put some increased prices on or increased pressure on pricing.
3: Yeah, and just um, just to add a kind of more not as much geographic in terms of a municipality, but there's some key large projects that are quite interesting to see in terms of the build out. Um, one was Concerts Harborside Waterfront in North Vancouver. And I don't know exactly how long this one's been in planning, but it feels like at least a decade. So, you know, I just <laughs> right. love to see projects that have been grinding it out and, and kind of trying to make it work uh, finally come to market. And uh, I, I wonder if they'll have to change their specifications for the project based on what they originally thought they would have to put in it, um, because it's 10 years ago is, plus is when they, they, uh, they had the property acquired. But I'm um, really excited to see how that uh, shapes up, and I think that one will be coming to market hopefully in 2021. So that's, uh, you know, I don't know necessarily in terms of, you know, an investment or so more so as a, a place to live uh, as a, as an end user. Um, excited about that project. And then just going south of the Fraser, uh, another master plan community, which was another long uh, approvals process, was um, the Spedipore Lands in Tawasson, uh, which drove, uh, drove by the site a few days ago, and it's looking great. And it's called Southlands and really cool architectural uh, single family townhome product in that location. And that that's a big project and, and excited to see that one get built out as well, too. So North Vancouver and into Lawson.
2: Oh, That's great. And, and can we talk maybe about just B.C., the province in general? Uh, do you have any regions you're excited about?
4: Um, I'm, I'm from the Okanagan, so I'm going to say that's one I'm, I'm excited about. (laughs) And, you know, from, you know, I'm from the Southern part of the, of the Valley, but from, you know, chatting with various people in the market, you know, Kelowna just sounds like it's on fire and, you know, the the downtown is transforming there with, you know, before you used to drive in and you'd see one tower or two towers and, and, uh, you know, based on the number of projects that are in planning there, it's, it's going to look like uh, a mini Uh, not too far down the road. Right.
1: And I know you guys are in Edmonton and Calgary too. Obviously those markets have had a couple challenging years, to put it mildly. What do you see for the future of Alberta, and are you excited about Calgary and Edmonton?
3: Yeah, we're pretty bullish on on the future of those cities. You know, largely a function of um, when, you know, we're going to start to see a lot of immigration come to Canada and. With the end goal of owning a home uh, as uh, as a as an aspiration for new immigrants, you know, looking at your options in terms of what's out there in Metro Vancouver is obviously a desirable city, but you know, as time goes on, is becoming harder to obtain in terms of a single family home or 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 a more family oriented product. You know, we're hearing the single family market across all Canadian cities is is increasing from Toronto to Ottawa. You know, we heard there's a an article put out a week ago saying that the uh, average house price in Ottawa was over $750,000. So even markets like Ottawa are starting to, to heat up on the single family front. So, you know, if your end um, goal is to own a single family home, and you're moving to Canada, you know, Edmonton and Calgary are relatively some of the most affordable cities uh, that we have at this point. And, you know, even to, to Calgary's credit, you know, there's a very lively city, you know, got a lot of, young energy and they're starting to diversify away from, you know, the oil and gas slowly, but surely, um, sectors. And people are starting to recognize that through purchasing, uh, homes in that market right now. So.
2: Right. Yeah. Calgary is
1: an incredibly beautiful city. It's, it's uh, it's been sort of shocking how long it's been down too. Like right. I, I, I I'm surprised uh, cause it is, it's a great city and there's a lot of energy there and there's, and there's a lot of infrastructure. Like it seems like, you know, it, well, what it's, it ranks, I think in the top 10 cities on some of those, uh, on, on Matt's livable list, on my livable <laughs> list, at least, especially if you like driving.
4: Right. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I, th- I think, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, when the downturn happened there in 2014 and we had just gone into that market a couple of years prior, um, you know, we thought, oh, you know, Calgary always bounces back. So we're just going to stick it out. And, you know, we waited for the. The government change, <laughs> the oil industry, you know, still being in the tank, you know, things didn't improve all that much. And then, of course, you had the pandemic, which was, you know, another nail in the coffin. But, you know, the, the, I think the positive thing with the length of the downturn that they've experienced is is that they're finally taking the need to diversify their economy much more seriously. So, right. you know, we're starting to see and, and it's a no brainer there for a the tech sector. You've got, you know, a young, educated workforce. Uh, and we are starting to see you know, some progress on that side and seeing some new industries moving into, uh, new businesses moving into that, uh, that market. Right.
2: Well, well, maybe we'll leave it there, but um, we do have this segment called the Five Wire, five quick questions about Vancouver and your lived experience here. So uh, can you stick around for that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah.
2: All right. So question number one, uh, we'll start maybe with John. Uh, what is your favorite neighborhood in Vancouver?
3: I'm going to have to say Ladner, my hometown, not my hometown, but I moved to Ladner about a year and a half ago and, and I've been enjoying it. so that is uh, that's my current favorite neighborhood in Vancouver.
1: Good one.: And Michael,
4: being a, a European descent, I still love commercial drive, love going down there for for a Saturday or Sunday brunch, but I, I, I think I mentioned that the last time I was on the show. I think you know Lower Lonsdale, you know should be a model for urban planning in terms of of what the the city of north End has done there with it, it's really become a destination you know not just for people from north vancouver but you know from people from all over so uh and if, if anybody hasn't been there yet they you know recently they should go and check it out because it's pretty even even during the pandemic you know what they did with the the covered ice rink there and you know they didn't put the ice in this year but they still made it so that people could uh could go down there and hang out with their family, their household members, obviously. But, you know, even during the pandemic, there was still this this sense of life there, which was really great.
1: Favorite bar or restaurant? We're thinking pre-pandemic when you guys were out and about on the town. (laughs) I'm getting
4: getting too old to be out and about on the town. (laughs) 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 Uh, You know, I'm sticking with my my fave cuz it's uh, it's still our go to even when we were restricted to takeout only uh tavola which is uh just down on Robson Street just west of of Denman fabulous place and uh just you know even with the the more limited seating still a great vibe in there and and unbelievable food it's
3: hmm. a great one yeah john yeah so i think last time i said bob likes thai food which is a chain um i'm going to switch it up this time and suggest a restaurant called il posto uh which is in downtown labner which is a a locally owned italian restaurant and it's probably the you know i would argue is the best restaurant in labner so uh, i would recommend you checking that out if you ever uh were in that part of uh, metro vancouver
1: right on one book you would recommend i'm trying to remember what you guys what what answers you guys had last time but you would recommend everyone read go ahead john
3: yeah, so I read, you know, I read um, mostly business-related books. they Are kind of my favorite um, books. One of the latest ones that I read that I would recommend was a book by uh, Mark Randolph, who was the co-founder of Netflix, and the book was called "That Will Never Work." So I, I just enjoyed the book because, you know, obviously Netflix being such a big company, you know, you know just to hear about the small beginnings of, of how it all started and. Just kind of knowing that, you know, big things can come from uh, small beginnings is, is kind of a fun and expi- an inspiring read. So uh, I'd recommend that book for sure. Yeah, right on.
1: It's a good one. Michael? Yeah. And, uh, yeah,
4: I'm a big memoir guy. I like, you know, hearing, you know, similar to the book that, uh, that John recommended. But I like hearing people's sort of story and how they got to where they were. So on the business front, I would uh, recommend Chip Wilson's uh, Story of Blue Lemon book. And you know it's it's fun because you know you're from Vancouver and you you know all the places that he's talking about. But you know he goes back to his start even with West Beach when when he started that up and and uh, and such. So so that was a great one. And then for a lighter read, I'm going to give you two. I'm going to cheat. Uh, I'm going to suggest uh, Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, uh, which is a really if you have an Audible subscription, it's a super fun read. Because uh, he actually reads it himself, so you can just imagine with his drawl oh, uh, how entertaining that is. So
2: I, I started it, but I I was having a tough time with the Matthew McConaughey <laughs> part. <but laughs> Too much
4: Matthew
3: McConaughey. <laughs> you just go back to a Lincoln ad. It was yeah, exactly.
2: No kidding, but yeah, I might have to pick that one back up. That's uh,
3: <laughs> I, I'd
4: recommend you give it another shot. If, if there's some laugh out loud <laughs> moments in that one, so.
2: It's he's, like listening to Jeff Spicoli for an hour. Wasn't uh, and wasn't <laughs> yeah. he the
1: one? Matthew McConaughey was was wasn't he arrested or something for doing, playing bongos and smoking weed back in the like that was a anyway.
4: yeah yeah he tells that story in the book. Oh, oh right nice. on okay uh,
1: and he's <laughs> yeah. a Chip Wilson one. I feel like that sounds uh, great. Yeah, just from reading articles of his, like he he reminds me almost of a Conrad Black type guy in terms of is very opinionated, right? I, I'd imagine it's probably pretty entertaining that way.
4: Yeah, the, you know, and I really, I have to say, you know, full disclosure, I enjoyed the first half of the book much more than the second half. The second half of the book, he gets into that more sort of opinionated part of it with respect to what was happening at Lululemon, you know, once they got bought out and, and the various, oh, you know, yeah. leaders that, that were running the company and such. So, but, you know, I, I think the first half, two thirds of the book, you know, is, is what I really enjoyed. The whole book is, is, is good to, to read or listen to whichever you do. But, but I, I did find sort of the, you know, the growth of, of the company and how they got to where they were, you know, from basically nothing to, to this massive global company. So it was pretty fascinating.
2: Right. I'm just, I'm putting it on my audible as we speak here. This is
1: uh, <laughs> skip the part <laughs> where there's axes <laughs>
2: to be ground. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, and next question, one piece of advice that you'd give your 18-year-old self. Maybe we'll start with John.
3: Yeah, I think the last time was just buy, buy real estate as, as early as you can because you'll be 35 in no time. I'll stick with that one. Or 45. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say, in Matt's case. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, it, it goes quick. And Michael?
4: Uh, I, would, uh, I would say you're capable of more than you think you are. Good
2: one. And uh, last but not least, something you have purchased for under $1,500 has changed your life in the past few years, starting with Michael.
4: Uh, I don't know if they changed my life, but I bought a really good pair of hiking boots. I, I you know, bit the bullet and, and spent over $400 on a pair of good waterproof hiking boots. Living on the North Shore, you're, you know, you've got the mountains in your backyard. So, so that's really uh, got me out and uh, been doing some hikes and such that I might not have done otherwise. So.
1: Like that's uh we've had a couple of those lately where it seems n- not necessarily COVID-inspired, but um, it, it seems related somehow. But uh, that, that's a good one. And, and John?
3: Yeah, so I have probably, I mean, not life-changing, but just life-improving to a great extent for me. Um, uh, when I moved into my new home, you know, the first thing I wanted to do is get a new kind of home gym set up. So bench press, squat rack just everything that I could so that I could do a home workout. And uh, it was super easy to get all of the equipment I needed and weights I needed online. And apparently, um, this is all pre-pandemic, and apparently during the pandemic, it was the hottest commodity around. So I've talked to people who said, you know, I, I had to wait months and months to get just a basic weight during the pandemic. So yeah, that definitely for me it was was huge. Just being able to, you know, get in a quick workout um, without having to kind of go to a, you know, a gym or community center. That was huge. The other one is just uh, not too much of a plug, but um, just an Audible membership. So, you know, just using that time on the road to, you know, listen to as many audiobooks as as possible has been a huge kind of game changer for me in terms of, you know, making more beneficial use of my free time so sure. you know went from not not reading a whole lot to you know in the year and a half reading 50 60 books just throughout commuting you know is a huge improvement to my life
1: that's a great one yeah, yeah. We, although it's still the verdict's out whether you're actually reading those books john Well, that's that's somebody
2: <laughs> yeah somebody challenged me on that
1: the other day i said i read 50 books a
2: year and they said well you kind of listen to them but uh yeah <laughs> that's a fair point but, but John that, yeah, there's probably an opportunity to flip some of those, the, the, I was the gonna, weights. I thought that's where you're going with that, a buy low, sell high strategy.
3: You know what? I probably could flip those weights for sure. <laughs> yeah, <exactly.
1: laughs>
2: well, how can, uh, how can our listeners find out more about, uh, Urban Analytics and, and what you guys are up to?
4: Well, we just, or just early in the new year, we just launched our new corporate website. So go and check it out at urbananalytics.ca. Um, and uh, all of our contact information is there, and a uh, bunch of great stuff that uh, will let you in on, on what we do.
1: Right on. Well, thanks so much again for your time, guys. It's, it's good to have the, uh, the, the annual uh, State of the Union with you, and, and hopefully, we'll have you back soon. And uh, thanks so much for your time.
4: Always enjoy it.
3: Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
1: So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Michael Ferreira and John Benest from Urban Analytics.
2: Always enjoy having uh, John and Michael on the program. These guys are becoming kind of a, uh, you know, we have our at least annual check-in with them. But over the course of the last five years, uh, Michael's been on a number of times. John, this is his, uh, he's part of the two-timer club The now. two-timer club, yeah, there's yeah. a couple of people in that club.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, it was That's great. That's the bronze jacket. <laughs> it was great having <laughs> these guys on. And yeah, it's always, I really, I think it's almost becoming an annual tradition to check check in after their state of the union at U- UDI. Well, it's a perfect time, yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, no, it's great. We do have the slides. If you, you guys know. want the slides, we're going to have those on our website vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. This is of course the slide package that they used during their presentation. A lot of uh, emojis in there, which there I There were like. yeah, there were quite a, lot a few of, There's a lot of stats, a lot of data, a lot of emojis. I think
2: that's probably becoming a thing for those guys is they always have uh last time they were on too, the emojis were Yeah, were everywhere. Yeah, I think I think
1: it's a it's a trademark Michael Ferrera move to have those emojis in his presentation. That's a good uh, that's a good I like thing it. to do. I like it. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to check that out, vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. dot uh, com. What else yeah, do we have? We'll this have week? it at the uh, slash eggplant. Uh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was a, It was. I don't think. No, there I think there's mainly was a. poop emoji. It was a, was poop they, it was a, a, like. a lot of a lot of backslash poop <laughs> uh, emoji. Um, we will actually try and have that on the site. And That's then also, right. um, if you want to follow those guys, just head over to their website as well. Um, it's a good follow. The information that they're putting out is fantastic,
1: or not. and uh, and they know. do Alberta as well. They have Edmonton, Calgary. So if you're if you're interested in kind of Western Canadian real estate, they're always a great group to follow for sure. For sure. What else do we have before we cut for the day, Adam? VancouverRealEstatePodcast dot com. This is our website where all things real estate live head over to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com where you can sign up for things like the LiveWire. This is our weekly mailer. Yep. You're getting stats before anyone else. You're getting stats that no one else gets. Right Submarkets, it's, it's really incredible. We got deal of the month. Uh, past episodes. There's no reason why you don't want to be on this list. We also have buttons there where you can sign up for the sold plan. This is start on launch date. This is how to get your property ready for market. We got the listing incentive. For sure. That's VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also have tried and true
2: private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information at your fingertips. It's free. It's the best way to look for real estate in Vancouver. All of our clients use it. We use it. And it's just got a facelift. And I got to say, I actually just started using it um, the new version, is the ca- exposure, it's called exposure, Exposure, yeah. Right. It,
1: I don't and, even know if it's called private client services
2: anymore. Well, I've, to me, it's always called PCS, <laughs> but it's it's maybe PCS exposure. I'm not sure. We should we should we probably should check, check with them because we might, uh, we're uh, we going to be in a lawsuit to entire, entire podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, it's it is a great research tool. I'm actually finding new ways to use that tool every single day. Well, so they've added a lot of new features, which is lot super of new features. I'm really excited. Um, matt, but finally, uh, before we cut for the day, how can people get in touch
1: with you? Well, if you want to talk about anything real estate related at all, give me a shout, 778-847-2854 or matt at com. And you, Adam? 778 866 4574 or Adam at Vancouver Real Estate We also have that secret line info at Vancouver Real Hope you guys are all staying safe and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Take care.
3: Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.